Justice? Fair? Are you kidding me? Nothing's fair. Look around. Where's the justice? When do the good guys win? When does it finally pay off to be honest? How, how can I come out ahead playing by the rules? Look around. The cheaters don't get caught. The liars have all the fun. The partiers have all the friends. And the mean girls get all the applause. Look around. When will it pay off to tell the truth? When will it pay off to be honest? When will the good guys win? When will all of this be worth it? Look around. It's the selfish that have the most toys. The little guy always loses. The liar gets the promotion. No one notices or even seems to care. When will it pay off? When will the real heroes get rewarded? When will the evil stop? When will the truth win? When will justice prevail? Are you watching any of this, God? I want to believe that you're worth following, but look around. You ever ask questions like that? Why does life seem so unfair? Why is there no justice in this world? I'm willing to bet, even if you've never spoken those out loud for fear that lightning might strike you, (laughs) that every single one of us in this room has spoken those questions at our heart at one time, probably even more often than we realize. I'll never forget back in high school, Wondering, just being kind of a fresh uh, Christian, young Christian, you know, wondering why it was that all the jerks were popular. You know, these guys would cheat and, you know, steal. They would just be mean. They would pick on everybody. Now, of course, I was one of the nerds, so I noticed it especially. But that was deep down in my thoughts. Like, why do they get to be popular and they're jerks? That doesn't seem fair. Now, I'd love to say I've grown up, but I realize as I've thought more and more about this issue, this bombards me every single day. Just last week, we were driving on Highway 70 back home, and I noticed myself, don't leave me out here, every time somebody passes me on the highway, something flares up inside me that says, that's not fair. I hope they get caught. (laughs) And you've ever had that moment? It's just beautiful, right? 20 miles down the road, there they are. Now, it doesn't matter that I was going over the speed limit. What matters is that they were going over the limit I was going over. And that's what made it not fair. Now, the reason we have these feelings is because of a biblical principle I already mentioned. It's at the core of every single human being. It's called justice. We want justice. If you're falling on your notes, at the heart of every human is a desire for justice. Now the reason for that is because we're told we are created in the image of God and God is a God of justice, right? God is opposed to evil in this world. He is all about good and he wants to see it advanced. We read things like this in the Bible, Deuteronomy 32.4. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is what? Just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright He is. Or since we're in a series on the Psalms, how about Psalm 916? The Lord is known for His justice. 
The wicked are trapped by their own deeds. We worship a just God. And not only is God a God of justice, but we're told numerous times in Scripture that God will bless the people whose pursuit is justice. In other words, he loves it. It's at his heart when his people pursue justice themselves. For example, Deuteronomy 16.20. Follow justice and justice alone so that, look at this promise, this blessing, that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Or maybe the most famous verse is in Galatians 6.7. It's kind of the flip side of this one. It says this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. You heard that? You will reap what you sow. Justice is at the heart of who God is, and it's at the heart of who we are as well. Now, this is so ingrained in us, we probably don't even realize it. How many of us parents raise our kids with this expectation? We may never say it, but this is the idea. If you work hard and you do what's right, you will be successful in this life. Or how many nations, including ours, are built on the principle, listen, if you live by the rules, all will go well for you in this land. I just stood in front of a judge of the United States of America to become a U.S. citizen, and I gave this pledge. Would you like to do it with me? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and... Our whole worldview is built on this belief that people should reap what they sow. If you do good, you'll be rewarded. If you do bad, you'll be punished. In my opinion, this is why superheroes movies are so popular. I mean, they're even like remaking superhero movies from 10 years ago because people can't get enough justice. When the good guy wins and the bad guy gets what he deserves, we can all cheer and go home with a big satisfactory This is how life is meant to be. The problem is, superheroes aren't real. And the truth be told, in real life, sometimes justice is nowhere to be found, is it? Too often we see the wicked prospering. All you got to do is turn on your TV at night and we see dictators strutting across the stage of human history oppressing the innocent. Financial empires that are built on corruption and deceit. Children being neglected and abused. Criminals getting away with their crime. Even the church, you know this, right? Even the church in many parts of the world is a suffering church. Just read this week in the year 2000 to year 2010, in a 10-year span, over 1 million Christians were martyred for their faith. Where's the justice in that? Where's this promised blessing? Now maybe you're here this morning and it's making you very nervous that I'm asking these kind of questions. I've openly shared this before, but I grew up in a setting where these kind of questions and doubts and struggles, they were frowned upon. I was told that if you ask these kind of questions of God, it shows a lack of what? Faith. We are just supposed to swallow the pill and be shiny, happy people. (laughs) I no longer believe that. In fact, in the series that we're continuing this morning called Awakening, as we're looking at different psalms uh, in the Bible, we're going to be looking at Psalm 73, 
And if you're following on your notes, in Psalm 73, Asaph, he is the one who wrote this psalm, asks the honest question, is following the Lord really worth it? Is following the Lord really worth it? Because in his view, as we will see, it sure doesn't seem like it sometimes. Now, Asaph, a little background, was one of the members of the tribe of Levi. If you remember, when David uh, sent up, set up the, the worship music that was supposed to be played uh, in the worship of the Lord, Asaph was one of the ones put in charge there. And if you've ever read through the Psalms, you see his name often because he actually wrote a number of the Psalms, including Psalm 73, which we're looking at today. And I love Asaph. And one of the things I love about him is he's not afraid to ask the tough questions. He is honest about his struggles and his doubts in life. And to use Howard Cosell's phrase, how many of you remember Howard Cosell? Asaph tells it like it is, right? He tells it like it is. And what he sees and what bothers him so much is that the wicked are the ones prospering in this life. That those who pursue the Lord, who follow the Lord, seem to be the ones who get the raw end of the deal. What's up with that? Is it really worth following the Lord? Asaph doesn't see it. And it's not what we see either at times, is it? Sometimes those who follow the Lord aren't blessed. Sometimes it's the wicked who really receive what it seems like is everything. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful to God that he includes passages like this in his word for us to have still today. I mean, aren't you that it's not just some pill we swallow? Have you ever read Job? You want to talk about questions? You want to talk about doubts? James calls Job someone who persevered in the faith, not someone who got squashed. God even called him righteous. Or what about this Easter? We looked at the story of Thomas, who is known as what? Doubting Thomas, and Jesus got bad at him, man. No. He was patient with Thomas. And he is patient with us with the questions we bring. And the reason for that, in my humble opinion, if you're following on your notes, is that oftentimes, questions can lead us to a deeper faith. Questions can lead us to a deeper faith, and that's what God really wants. He's not after a whole bunch of robots without any minds. He wants people who are pursuing him with a deep faith. And in the case of Asaph, we're going to see this is exactly what's going to happen in his life. So if you would, take your Bible and turn it to, with, uh, with me to Psalm 73. And again, if you're still getting used to where things are in your Bible, the Psalms are almost about halfway there in Psalm 73. Believe it or not, it's almost about halfway uh, in the book of Psalms. So hopefully you can find that. We're going to be starting in verse 1 together. Before we do, let's bow our heads and pray again. Lord, I've thanked you many times for Psalm 73, and I do it again this morning. We thank you that uh, you allow these kind of questions and doubts in your word so that we can look at them today and see that faith doesn't just mean swallowing whatever we're told. Faith includes questions, but you're a God who loves to answer our questions, and for that we are grateful. We pray that you would use Asaph's words now and your word to encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's start by reading Psalm 73, verse 1, out loud together on our notes. Would you? It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. 
Now that opening verse would have been a common phrase that the Israelites would have used probably most often together when they were gathered for worship. It would be similar to some of the phrases that we use. It was just taken for granted as being true, right? For example, on Easter, well, one of us will stand up here every year and say, Christ is risen, and you say? We just, we just say that. We believe that's true. That's why we're here. Or maybe some of you grew up in a church where you would hear the pastor say, God is good all the time, and you would respond? All the time, God is good. That is what verse 1 really is. It's not something Asaph is making up here. This would have been a well-known phrase or even a proverb that the people of Israel would have held on to and believed. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. The word good signifies God's blessings on his people. God's abundance and the people who receive those are who? The pure in heart. And simply speaking, we've talked about this already, someone who is pure in heart is someone whose sole purpose and desire in life is to pursue and follow the Lord. That's the pure in heart. My goal, my aim in life is God. And I pursue him with everything that I've got. That's why Jesus promised in the Beatitudes, what? Blessed are the pure in heart. What's going to happen for them? They will see God. The pure in heart, those who pursue God with their whole life, they're the ones that are actually going to see him. If you're following on your notes there, this proverb asserts that God blesses those who love him. God blesses those who love him. It's a common belief for the Israelites, but as we're about to see, the validity of this proverb has come under question for Asaph. In fact, in the following verses, we're going to see how Asaph is shaken from believing this for a time. And the reason is that Asaph has a problem. And we read about it in verses 2 and 3. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can I give you the Steve Patsio translation of those verses? God, from my perspective, you're not enforcing justice very well. I've tried to stay humble and pure in heart, just like you said, and I'm waiting for the blessings to flow, but I look around me, And it's the wicked who are receiving all the blessings. Where's the justice in that? Where's the fairness in that? What about your promises? Shouldn't you be like smashing these people or something? At least giving them bad hair? I I don't know. (laughs) Do you know what's going on down here? It's the question Justine asked. It's the question Asaph is asking. Do you realize what's happening? Surely if you knew. You do something about it, right? Or have I just been wasting my time following you? Have I wasted my time being pure in heart? Because it doesn't look like you're good to those who are pure in heart. Have I trusted you in vain? Now that's honest questions, isn't it? And Asaph's problem is as old as human history. He doesn't think life is fair. Life is not fair. And so he wonders, is following God actually worth it? It reminds me of this old Peanuts cartoon. I really wish I could find it. I couldn't find it uh, this week, so you'll just have to picture it in your head with Lucy saying to Charlie Brown, I hate everything. I hate everybody. I hate the whole wide world. And Charlie Brown says, but I thought you had inner peace. To which Lucy replies, I do have inner peace, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. (laughs) It's a great way to put it. Asaph has outer obnoxiousness, and he has no inner peace as a result. And yet, to his credit, he knows 
probably after the fact that the root of it is what? Did you see it in verse 3? Envy. Envy. Asaph's problem is, if you're following there, he became envious of the wicked. He became envious of the wicked. As Jeff talked about in Psalm 1 several weeks back, the wicked is simply someone, simply someone who violates God's law or has no concern at all for following the Lord. And Asaph's problem is that when he starts to compare their health, wealth, and prosperity with his as someone who has tried to be pure in heart, he grows resentful and envious. And if I'm honest, when I look in the mirror sometimes, this is where my problem lies. This is where our problem lies, doesn't it? Oftentimes we try to mask it with intellectual things. But at the heart of it, I think sometimes our problems lie basically with, I don't think God is treating me the way I think he should be. Other people are doing better than I am. They can go 85 and I can only go 80. And I have to struggle to make a living. And they just get to coast along and have no problems. Our problem is envy. And let's look at what envy does, how it can just cloud our perspective about life. Verses 4 through 11, this is, just take note of what Asaph sees with a mind clouded by envy. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. Or I really like how the New Living Translation puts verse 7. Listen, these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. That's his perspective. Verse 8, they scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? In other words, we can do whatever we want. We can live however we want, because God has no clue. Now, in our right minds, when we read that, we can see that Asaph is certainly exaggerating the situation of these people, right? I mean, I did a quick count. In a nutshell, he says the wicked people have zero problems, possess near-perfect health, thrive on pride, get everything and everyone they want, and can even shake their fist at God in defiance without any repercussions. That's his view of the wicked with a clouded perspective. But Asaph isn't in his right mind, and we know that. And don't we all just kind of tend to exaggerate when we're envious? And we tend to see things differently when we're envious. I mean, I'll just give you a really silly, simple example. Just this summer, I was playing golf with somebody who was beating me handily, which isn't too rare. And my thought was, well, yeah, of course he's beating me. All he ever does is golf. (laughs) Now, this guy's got a full-time job. So obviously not all he ever does is golf, but in my envy of not being as good a golfer as he is, my perspective is clouded and I begin to exaggerate my situation. You know what envy really is at the root of it, if you're following on your notes? Envy is criticizing God for what we've been given. We don't think of it that way often, but at the heart of it, envy is criticizing God for what we've been given, right? I love how Rick Warren puts it. Envy is resenting God's goodness to others and ignoring God's goodness to me. 
That's Asaph's problem. In fact, he sums it all up in verse 12. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. Exaggeration a bit? They increase in wealth. And the result of this struggle that Asaph has is verse 13. Would you read it out loud with me on your notes? Surely in vain have I kept my heart in... In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. Not according to what I see. Again, if you're following, Asaph concludes, Asaph concludes, it really is not worth following the Lord. It really is not worth following the Lord. God is apparently not good to those who give their lives wholeheartedly to Him. So what is the point of being godly? We might put it this way today. Why declare war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves? What does it really matter? Does God actually care? Is it really worth it? These are the honest questions and struggles of a man who's buried his heart for everyone to see. Have you ever felt the same way he does? Is it worth it? In verse 14, he comes to kind of the end of himself and says, All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Can you just picture him? Depressed, in despair, alone. And then verse 15, if I had said, I will speak thus. In other words, if I had found somebody and shared them this problem with them, I would have betrayed your children. He means the people of Israel there, right? I mean, he realizes he can't lay this burden on other people. So he feels alone and abandoned. He doesn't want to rock their faith as well. He has come to the end of himself, and in Asaph's mind, he has nowhere to turn. Or does he? Where can you go? Where can you go when you have the same kinds of questions and struggles that Asaph does? What can you do? What can we do? Well, you're not going to believe it, but Asaph goes to church. He goes to church. Look at verses 16 and 17. This is his turning point. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Just as he was about to be swept away, Asaph, the honest doubter, enters the sanctuary of God, the presence of God. And if you're following on your notes, in God's presence, he is given a new perspective. In God's presence, he is given a new perspective. Here in the context of worship, Asaph is reoriented because God speaks into his life. We would call this today Revelation. Revelation. He was given a revelation. You know, sometimes we rely so much on our human reason, but do you know it's limited? Sometimes it takes God to reveal things to us, to reorient our perspective in the proper way. I wish more people believed that. Sometimes we need God's help to reorient our vision, don't we? And if you're following on your notes, with God's help, Asaph's perspective is reoriented in three significant ways. Three ways. The first one we already saw a glimpse of in verse 17. If you're following it on your notes, number one, he now realizes the final destiny of the wicked. He now realizes the final destiny of the wicked. From his perspective, life is unjust because the wicked seem to be the ones prospering. But, 
given an eternal perspective, he discovers that their success is fleeting. Their success in this life will not last. It's built on very slippery ground, in fact. Look at verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies or dreams. When viewed from his perspective of envy, the wicked have it all. They seem invincible, don't they? Perfect health, all the money in the world, prosperity, people bow, love them, give them all the attention, and yet when he's given a new perspective on time, he realizes just how fleeting that is. Here one moment, gone the next. Their life is built on sand. And it'll be washed away in an instant. If you're falling on your notes, Asaph discovers that one day all will, we, all, will we, bleh, all will be brought to justice. All will be brought to justice. He thought he was the one slipping in his devotion to the Lord, but he realizes it's really the wicked who are on slippery ground. Death has the final say on justice. God has the last word. In fact, I like how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. That was his problem, right? From his perspective, this is how life looked. Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Asaph asked the question, is life really just? His conclusion from the perspective of eternity, it sure is. Because in the end, God has the final say on every single person's life. God has the final say. Though it may not look like it from our limited human perspective, when we have eternal perspective, we can trust that God will judge all people exactly according to what they deserve. And he tells us here that the destiny of those who ignore God in this life is life apart from the very God they ignored for eternity. Now, I've been to church, this little timeout session, I've been to churches, I've met Christians, you know, we get to this conclusion, we see life from an eternal perspective, and I've literally heard people celebrate that. Like, yeah, those people are going to hell, woo! That makes me sick. If anything... We should have the complete opposite response and realize the reason we're here as Christ's church is to save those people from that final destiny apart from God. We are to get out into this world with the message of the gospel as his church. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said. We don't celebrate this reality this reality encourages us and spurs us to be light and salt in this world. Let us never be a church that has any other attitude than that. Amen? That's not the attitude Asaph had, by the way. And we're about to see that in his second reorientation. If you're following there on your notes, number two, he is given a new understanding of himself. He is given a new understanding of himself. Look at verses 21 and 22. You want to talk about honesty. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Sometimes it takes reorienting our lives around the Lord to see ourselves more clearly, doesn't it? 
This is the whole thing Jesus talked about. It's so easy for me right now to see the specks in each of your eyes. It's easy. But it's very hard to see the log in my own eye. It's easy for me to judge and condemn other people for the way they fall short, but I can't even see my own weaknesses and shortcomings and sin sometimes. And Asaph realizes, finally, through all this questioning of God's justice, that he's not being very wise. He's not seeing himself as he really should be seeing himself. He admits he's been senseless and ignorant. He even compares himself to an animal. I love that. That's like profound. He's basically saying, I realized in my perspective, my limited human view, I was no better than an animal where my life was all about me, myself, and I. Animals have no real awareness of God. And that is where Asaph fit. He had no awareness of anything other than himself. Now we read that he realized it was envy that was clouding his perspective, but you know as well as I know, he didn't know that in the middle of it. It took God reorienting his vision about himself to see that. And I wonder if one of the things that happened in the sanctuary of God, and I wonder if this has ever happened to you, I wonder if one of the questions God asked Asaph is, do you really want justice? Do you know what it would be for your life to have the justice it deserves? Would you rather have a God of mercy or a God of justice? What would you choose? Asaph, do you really want justice for yourself? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. Isaiah 53, 6. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Psalm 53, 3. Do we even know what we're asking? When we demand God's justice? When we speak of the unfairness of my life? I've wondered often if there aren't heaven, or excuse me, angels in heaven who still can't understand why God poured out his mercy on human beings the way he did. What is it about us? If you're falling on your notes in worship, I believe Asaph sees how merciful God really is to him. He realized how merciful God really is to him. His perspective on justice is changed to see God's mercy. Have you seen that? Have you seen that in your own life? Have you understood? From God's perspective, your attitude on justice might just change. I love how Paul, you know, I want to talk about a paradigm shift, an entire life change, wrote about this in 1 Timothy in these words. He says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You want to talk about a perspective there. None of us would ever say that, right? Paul, come on. That was his perspective when it was changed by God. But, that, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, he realizes this. His perspective about God's mercy is changed. And what does Paul do in that last verse there? Do you notice? He just breaks out in praise. 
I mean, once your perspective has changed to see God's mercy in your life, you can do nothing but praise. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the kind of perspective we should have when we're tempted to see ourselves as anything else than sinners who were miraculously saved by God's grace and mercy. Praise be to God, Paul says, that we don't get the justice we deserve. Amen? The third reorientation Asaph has is he now realizes what true blessing is. He realizes what true blessing is. From his limited perspective, the wicked are the ones who were blessed because of all they had, right? But he enters the sanctuary, he enters God's presence, and it is revealed to him that the greatest gift, the greatest reward, the greatest blessing that one could have is not wealth, health, or prosperity. The greatest blessing is God himself. The greatest reward is the Lord. These are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Look at the realization, the perspective change that Asaph has. Yet I am always with you. Wow. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Now read verses 25 and 26 out loud on your notes with me. It says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a change! In the final analysis, the only thing that really matters to Asaph is that he is the Lord. He walks with him. He guides him. He offers him counsel. He will receive him one day in glory. If you're falling on your notes, he discovers that the reward isn't what we have. It's whose we are. It's whose we are. W-H-O-S-E. Whose. We're his. It's not what we possess materially in this world that matters. It's what we possess internally. A personal relationship with the living God of the universe. That is a blessing. Surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. What a perspective change. Is it yours? Is that your perspective? Asaph started this psalm with a proverb, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And he asked the question, Is that true? In the closing verses, here's what he says, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Regardless of how other people look, regardless of their health, of their power, of their success, regardless of the peace that they seem to enjoy here on this earth, a life apart from God, Asaph says, that's no life at all. That's no life at all. Yeah, life isn't fair. Sometimes life just isn't fair, but my reward is the Lord. My blessing is that he is with me now and forevermore. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, 
But those who know God and do his will will abide with him for how long? Forever. Surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. Asaph asked the question, is following the Lord really worth it? Is declaring war on shallow Christianity, beginning with myself, really worth it? Is becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ really worth it? And his conclusion, if you're in your notes, is that following Christ isn't easy, but it's worth it because we have him. It's worth it because we have him. Do you believe that this morning? Do you live that? Let's pray. We thank you again, Father, for Psalm 73 for one man's honest struggle and questions and for the conclusion that he was able to come to, we want to have that same conclusion this morning. You're worth it. Truly you are good to those who are pure in heart. Forgive us for when our perspective gets clouded by things like envy and resentment and pride. Would you, like Asaph, continue to reveal yourself to us Help us to see others, help us to see ourselves, and help us to see you with the kind of perspective Asaph did. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.